You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We'll stand in just a moment, but First John chapter 3, I'll give you some introduction here, uh, or maybe just opening remarks um, about what we've been doing, and, and then we'll read, we'll stand and read here in just a moment. Uh, we're back in First in John 3, we were here last week, and, and we've spent a few Wednesdays over the last uh, few months uh, on covering our theme, which is Love Works. And uh, it, it was born out of the account in John chapter 13, if you'll remember when Jesus Christ bowed down and he washed the feet of his disciples and he told them, uh, he said, I've given you an example that ye should do as I have done, uh, done to you. And some people take that and say, well, you know, foot washing is then something that ought to be done. Well, I don't believe he was telling them to, do, to practice foot washing as much as he was telling them that their spirit of humble servitude ought to be the spirit of every child of God. And he said, I've given you this example. And he says, and then he said a few verses later, a new commandment give I unto you that ye should, that ye love one another. And so the commandment was love, not foot washing. And then he said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. And Jesus was telling them, and in, in, in not really in this term, but the idea was love works. And the idea is if you have genuine agape love, it will be revealed in your works. So what, what you end up, if your love is real, it will show up not just in what you say, but in what you do. So that in that sense, love works. The other sense that love works is that if you want people to know you're my disciples, then love works to do that. Because they'll look at your love and they'll know that you're mine. Because uh, the, the greatest marker, the foundational characteristic of Jesus Christ and his disciples ought to be love. And I'm thankful we've got a beautiful building. But a beautiful building can be full of disciples uh, that, that don't have love and it's kind of just empty works. Uh, I'm grateful for a great choir. We've got a good choir and I'm thankful for it. A good choir doesn't make uh, the, the, the highest mark or doesn't mean... That's the greatest characteristic of a, of a Baptist church. I mean, it's a good characteristic of a church, uh, but the highest characteristic of a church is disciples that love. I mean, there are a lot of things we could do that we think, well, this is the mark of discipleship, but if we do all of it, but we don't have love, as 1 Corinthians says, it's just sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. It doesn't really matter. And so that's the primary marker, and that's what I want to remind you about today and, and kind of carry some thoughts we had last week, and then this would be maybe a little bit like part two, and then next week would be part three in this thought flow in First John. So let's stand and read, beginning in verse 10, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, as we, as we read. It says, um, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Now take note of that phrase, because that will come back again. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? 
because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. That's encouraging. Amen? Okay, we'll move on. We know that we have passed from death unto life. Because, why? Well, we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know what I would say is a summary phrase of 1 John 3, 10 through 18, what we just read. Love works. If you have genuine love for God and your brother, it will be evident in your life. And what John says here, it's, a, it's pretty hard. It's actually hard to hear it. And what John says here, in different terms, he says, if you don't have love for your brother, you're of the devil. You abide in death. He says, you're not of God. Those are phrases he uses. And, uh, and I just want to look tonight on this, at, this, at this thought, when love doesn't work. Not the idea that if I love like I should... Maybe sometimes it won't work. Well, maybe, maybe that's the case. Maybe it, does, it, maybe it doesn't. That's not my point. I mean when, when love isn't working in our lives. Because when love doesn't work, uh, it's a pretty serious indictment on God's people. We've got to be careful of have, saying we have love but not having works. Thank you. You may be seated. And may God bless the reading of his word. There was a story in Reader's Digest, I mean, some years ago, I think it was probably 20 years ago, um, that, that I saw this and have just always remembered it. Um, but there was a story in Reader's Digest about a woman who at church one day was very surprised when another lady came up to her and gave her a big hug at church. And I mean, maybe that shouldn't be surprising, except that this lady um, for a long time had never been friendly to her and actually on more than one occasion had essentially snubbed her at church. Now, does that, that better not happen here, okay? Don't snub each other. Well, she went out of her way to come hug her, and, and, and so this, this lady was perplexed. I mean, she was happy and thought it was a good thing, but she wondered what prompted it, and she got her answer at the end of the service when the pastor said, your assignment for next week is the same as last week. I want you to go out there and love somebody you just can't stand. Man, if loving people was as easy as giving hugs to people that we can't stand, then a lot more Christians would be excelling at love. Because we may not feel it, but we could probably do that. Now, when Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, I have a feeling he meant more than hugs. And uh, you might be a porcupine when it comes to hugs. You may not be a hugger, okay? And that's okay. And, and maybe, you're, maybe you are a big hugger. You'll hug... Even the porcupines among us. It's not a big deal to you. Um, but hugging is not the epitome of Christian love. 
Now, it can be an expression, and I think, that's, I think it's a healthy thing uh, for family to hug. You know, I think it's not a bad thing. Uh, unfortunately, the commandment to love goes beyond hugs. And, and that's what John is dealing with here. He's trying to help his readers to understand that love is more than what you say, and it's more than just empty gestures. For Jesus Christ, it was a sacrificial act of humility on his face, on his knees, before his disciples, washing their feet. That was the act of a servant, not the act of, a, of the king of kings. And, and not much later in the book of John and in his life, his disciples saw the ultimate act of love and sacrifice when the king of kings went to a cross. So that was our focus last week. Last Wednesday, the idea in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And the Creator came to earth to die in our place. I mean, that's an incredible thought. And in doing that, as we saw last week, that incredible love did three things for us. Number one, in, in the first few verses of 1 John 3, it made us his children. In other words, he didn't just accept us as servants. He accepted us into the family. We are sons and daughters. And that's an incredible thought. Uh, number two, it made us different than the world. And that God imputed his righteousness on us. And there should be a difference between us and those that haven't had God's righteousness imputed on them. And then number three, it will one day make us sinless. When we see God or see Jesus Christ for who, for who he is, then we will be like him, the Bible says. And I'm thankful for all the ways that God's uh, boundless love has been bestowed upon us and the effects that it has made, the differences it, made, it has made in our lives. It's incredible to think about it. And here's the truth then on which the rest of the chapter in many ways is established. And that is this, if a God like him could love sinners like us, then sinners like us should love others like us. If a God like him could love sinners like us, then sinners like us should love others like us. And in many ways, that's the idea uh, that we're working with. And if you've been the recipient of extraordinary love, then you have no excuse not to love other people in the same way. And I was thinking about this tonight. I can think of three reasons um, why that's true. Number one, God is holy and he still loved us. And that really, we should never lose sight of the fact that a holy God uh, who could have done whatever he wanted chose to send his son to die on the cross and love us. Uh, honestly, I don't know that we'll ever need any greater motivation to serve and follow God than the fact that a holy God would love us. Number two, it's only right to pass on what you've benefited from. I mean, what an act of ingratitude to be a recipient and not be willing to be a giver. And, and we ought to be careful. I mean, it's kind of like the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. And we know that he gladly received mercy from his master for a large debt that he was forgiven. And, and, and he, but he then turned around and refused to show mercy for a fairly small debt that somebody owed him. And, and his master was not happy about it. You could read it in Matthew 18. Well, God is, does not take it lightly when those of us who've received benefits from him refuse to show gratitude about it by, by giving those same benefits to other people. And it was last week I used the, the illustration. I don't have it up here um, because I don't leave my M&Ms laying around the church, okay? But last week I had a jar of M&Ms. 
And that jar of M&M's was a picture of God's love. And the idea is, and I think I used Timmy and I gave him one M&M. And I said, if I give you one M&M, what does that indicate? Well, that indicates one M&M indicates that I want him to eat it. But if I give him a whole jar of M&M's, it's not really reasonable. Well, maybe it is for Timmy. But it's not really reasonable for me to think he could eat the whole jar. So I give him a whole jar of M&M's. The indication is that I want him to share it. See, God didn't give us a tiny little microbe of love. He gave us a whole jar. I mean, more than a jar. And the idea is he gave us boundless love. What manner of love God bestowed upon us because he wants us to share it. And that's the point from last week. Number three, another reason um, that that we should love and give is because Christ commanded us to. If we had no other reason, this would be enough. But understand, that doesn't mean that our command to love is like the woman at the beginning who only hugs because the pastor forced her to. No, that's not the kind of love um, or commandment that Christ gave us. Love is our motivation, not just our duty. And we ought to be careful to, to, I, I mean, even love we can turn into a duty. I mean, yes, I know it's a commandment, but if you have the right perspective, you won't love because you're forced to. You love because it's the least you can do based on what manner of love you've received. And it's only right then to give in proportion to what you've been given. And God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts. He's he's given us the same kind of love that he has for us to be able then to turn around and show that love to somebody else. Listen, nobody except those who've received that love from God can turn around and love like God can love. But he's given us the ability to do it. And I would submit to you that for a spirit-filled Christian, love should be as natural as breathing. And I know that sounds strange to think, um, but, but love is part of the new nature God gave us. And, I, and when we give God the, the reins of our life, love will just be an outflow. I mean, I think about um, my dog, okay? And I don't use her a lot because it goes to her head. But I think about it like a happy dog. You know, when, when my dog is, is happy, now she's got a weird little stubby tail, which I think is weird. I mean, a dog ought to have a tail that can hurt your leg when they wag, okay? But she has a little stubby tail, but it's very clear. I mean, it's little, but it's really clear, clear whenever she, she's happy. And you know what? When we got her, we didn't have to train her to do that. Because when a dog is happy, they wag their tails. And it made me think today as I was watching her wag her tail. It made me think a little bit like the Christian who's received God's love. If you honestly, if you've truly benefited from the love of God and he's shed his love abroad in your hearts, he's bestowed what manner of love on you. If you're a spirit-filled Christian, a genuine Christian, then there shouldn't ever come a time in your life where you have to be trained how to love somebody else with that same love. It ought to just happen because you've been loved like you could never repay. And because God, a holy God of heaven, has loved you with love, you can't imagine anybody loving you with. And, and yes, it's a commandment, but it's not a duty for me. It's outflow because God has shed his love abroad, and it's just natural. Like a dog wagging their tail, I just love because I've been loved like you can't believe I've been loved. And I really think sometimes we view love like this work we've got to conjure up. But if you're a spirit-filled Christian of God, it's not an obligation. It's really actually just validation. 
It's not a duty, it's a demonstration. That you have the Spirit of God and you've been saved and love is not work. It's a blessing that you can turn around and just naturally it happens because you've received something so great and you want to give something so great to somebody else. And now John is making this point. If you're a genuine Christian, you will love because of who you are. You will love because of who you are. Well, who are you? Well, you're somebody that's been made completely different in Jesus Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. Uh, Your sins are gone. You have a home in heaven. You can have peace and you can have the help of God on this planet. It doesn't leave us all alone. Listen, there's a lot of benefits that we get when we become Christians. And the fact that you are who you are means that love should just come out of you. Love is validation of our position in Christ. That's kind of the first point that I want to make in this. And we're just basically looking at verse 10. Love is validation of our position in Christ. So look at verse 10. Um, sorry, yeah, verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. But that first phrase says very clearly, in this the children of God are manifest. And then he goes down, oh, I don't want to get him myself. Okay, love is validation of our position in Christ. If you are who you say you are, love will be present in your life. And John gives two traits that mark every genuine Christian. He talks about righteousness in verse 10, and he talks about love. And we talked about righteousness last week, but in verses 4 through 8, John talks about sin. And John's contention is that a person who continually dwells in sin without conscience or repentance may need to examine the sincerity of their faith. I'll say that again. See, John is, uh, John is saying that someone who continues in sin without conscience or repentance turning might need to examine the sincerity of their faith. Now, when John, when John, says, uh, when John says these things in verse 4, four through 8, for instance, you know, I'll just read some of these. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. I mean, these, verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Now, we could take these out of context if we're not careful. And we could assume that John says that once you've been saved, if you sin, you're not saved anymore. But if you read the rest of your Bible, you know that God doesn't, or the Bible doesn't teach uh, that you can lose your salvation. Uh, it's eternal security. Once, once you're saved, you're always saved. But, but it could be that somebody who says they're saved, but then they go out and they continue in sin without conscience or repentance. If they never turn from that, then you wouldn't say, oh, they lost their salvation. You would have to then say they were probably never saved in the first place. That's the point that John is making. He's not saying if you sin once after you get saved, you're in big trouble. No, he's saying if you continue in sin. If by, if by saying and staying in sin without repentance, well, it's time to examine some things. And before you think, well, pastor, you're just being really judgy tonight. No, John is the one that said it, okay? So there's safety in what he says. He goes on to write in verse 10, if you lack righteousness or love, it's questionable that you're part of God's family. And those are his words, not my words. 
So look at verse 11. He says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And this is the message from the beginning. I, and and what, what I, the way I would like to describe this is that love is the baseline of our Christian faith. Now, it's a wagging tail. Meaning, if you are who you say you are, love will be present. That's how natural it should be. And yes, I know that love is the sign of Christian maturity, but it's also the starting point for a Christian. It's that trait that sets his disciples apart from the very beginning. It's the clearest marker. And the defining mark of being part of God's family is love. Not church hugs, not a building, not great activities. It's love. And agape is God's love, which in these words here, it's, it's agape, which makes it the highest expression of love. It's sacrificial. It's servant-minded. It costs you something. It's an action word. It's the work part of love works. See, agape means love even when the object is unworthy, like we are. Agape means love even when the object is unresponsive. Like we can be. Agape love is love even when the object is unlovable. Like we certainly are. See, agape love is this supernatural, unconditional love that's given to us by God. And he constantly seeks our best. It wasn't created. I mean, some people might think, well, God, love is a gift from God. No, it's, it's beyond that. It wasn't created because it exists eternally because it's a characteristic of an eternal, immutable God. God is love. And because he is love, it's not something he created. It's not a human construct. It's not something he gave us so that we can operate down here. No, love is as eternal as God is. It's as supernatural and immutable as God is. God is love, so agape is supernatural because God is. But understand, when our spirits are supernaturally made alive at salvation, we have the capacity to love with God's love. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, I... Well, I'm just thinking about verses here. Verse 11, basically, it says that we should love one another. Verse 16, um, it says, and uh, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 18 says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If you go down to chapter 4, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse 11, chapter 4, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And it goes on and on and on. And the word is agape. I mean, this supernatural, sacrificial love that God loved us with. He gives us the capacity and, and he gives us the capability to love others with that same love. So understand, we have been both commanded and made capable of loving like God loves. And to choose, to choose somebody's best in spite of whether or not they're worthy. Well, we know they're not worthy. But to choose to seek their best if they're unworthy, to choose to seek their best even when they're unresponsive. And, and many of us have been in situations where we're reaching out to somebody and trying to, trying to uh, win them and teach them and help them and they're completely unresponsive. And, and I've known stories of people, I was just talking to somebody just last week of a man who spent seven years witnessing to somebody and they, before they finally got saved. 
I mean, even if they're unlovable, God gives us the capacity to love. And listen, that's why it's hard. It's not hard because God doesn't give us what we need to love like that. He does. It's hard because we don't naturally like to do things that we don't benefit from. We don't like to do something. I mean, I mean, if you're going to invest in something and somebody told you that in 10 years you actually will lose money on that investment, would you still invest in it? No, I mean, a smart, fiscally wise person would not. I mean, if you, if you knew that you were going to buy something to eat, if you go to a restaurant, now my wife and I, we're very different like this. We go to a restaurant, and I like to try new stuff. I like to just branch out. That's what I do. My wife, she will get the same thing in the place, same place every time, no matter what. And usually it's a burger, okay, every time. It's what she likes. But you know what? I can tell you this. She's had a lot more satisfying meals in her life than I have. Because <laughs> there's been a lot of times where I'm like, I order something that sounds really good and it's brand new. And I'm eating it and she's like, oh, is it good? She looks gross. You can tell she thinks it looks gross. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's super good. You know, yeah, it's really good. So glad I ordered it. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, we're different in that regard. Um, and, and, and if you knew you were going to go to a restaurant and order something and you weren't going to like it, would you still order it? Well, no. Not if you're smart. Because that's how we're wired. We don't typically want to invest in things that aren't going to benefit us. And so that's why love is hard. Because love means investing in people very often. You're going to give out a friend a card and probably more than likely uh, most of the people you invite aren't going to come. And if we operate like our culture does, that says love is all about what you get or what you benefit from, then none of us would hand out cards. Because there's a, a strong chance the cards you hand out, you hand out will end up in the trash. Um, but, but that's not the standard for love, for God's love. Because he loves in spite of the cost, and he loves whether or not we're lovable, and he loves whether or not we're, un- un- or we're responsive to him, and he loves whether or not we're worthy of it. Um, the investment, the idea of, of love is that you love in spite of the cost, whether or not there's a payoff. I mean, culture talks about love like love is all about what you get. It's all about self-interest. That's how we're trained to think about love. But when it comes to agape love, it's about being selfless, not being selfish. God loved mankind even though it cost him tremendously. I mean, think about it. He sent his son to die when the vast majority of people that have lived or will live on this planet are going to reject that payment. Yet he still died for everybody. And, and honestly, and I, and I believe it too, that if there was only one that would ever receive it, I think he still would have come. Because to him, one soul is worth the cost. He's not miserly in his love. He doesn't hold it back and he doesn't sit in heaven and do a cost analysis and pros and cons and decide if the payoff is worth it. No, agape love doesn't work that way. It's not about how much it costs. It's about doing what it takes. And God saw us as worth it and it blows my mind, but it's reality. We've all benefited from agape love and because of that, we're now called to it. We're called to love in the way that God loved us. We've been commanded, and we've been made capable. 
And it should be as natural as breathing. But here's the problem. When we're not spirit-filled, we frustrate the work of the Holy Spirit in us so that God's love isn't produced through us. That's what John's dealing with. He's letting them see what's produced when love isn't working. I mean, have you, have you ever tried to turn on a water hose or, or, or uh, tried to, well, we'll start with a water hose. You ever try to turn on a water hose and nothing's coming out and you're trying to figure out what's going on and there's nothing coming out and you trace it back and you realize there's a kink somewhere in the hose and you didn't see it? And then you, and then you call your kids out and say, hey, look down there and see if you see something. And then you open it up. <laughs> No, oh, uh, that, that happens. It, that's, that's like, the, that's, that's in many ways, that's what happens um, in that God has this flow of love that he's shown us. He's shed abroad in our hearts, and he expects that that love just comes out of us like outflow. Yeah, very often in our lives, it's like a water hose. And there's a kink in the hose, and that flow of love that's supposed to be natural, like a dog wagging its tail or just a breathing air. It doesn't come because we are pinching. Something is pinched and something is clogged and the, the water can't come through. Love isn't working. See, when love isn't working, there's a problem. And John says a lack of love is to live on the level of children of the devil. I mean, and this, this gets serious here. The last few, last few minutes, I mean, it, it's not fun. But he says, if love isn't working... In your life, you're, you're acting like a child of the devil. He says, is you're not of God. You abide in death, he says later. So understand the choice. To love is to live like a child of God. To not love is to live like a child of the devil. And I know that sounds harsh. But again, this is John making the point through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to make it clear that if you don't love, you're reverting back to your old sin nature. And, and you know, your father and, and many of you who got saved later in life, and I, I'm thankful that I, mean, I was saved as a kid. And there wasn't a lot of trouble I could get into when I was nine years old. But some of you got saved later in life. And so you know what it felt like to be reflecting um, the, the spirit of the devil. Because that's the way that, because of your experiences, that's, what, that's the way that you were living. And you didn't even really know it. But John wants it to be clear, if you don't love, you're going back to that. Any act that doesn't reflect the love of God points to the nature of the devil, he says. And that's the opposite of love. So understand, when we choose to ignore the commandment to love, and we choose to ignore the capability God has placed within us to love, then we are choosing to reflect the self-centered nature of Satan himself. And that is a serious indictment. I mean, just consider uh, a few applications of love. Charity suffereth long, which means charity, love is patient. And, and a, a lack of patience, sometimes when we're impatient about something, it's like, oh, I was so mad. I just, I mean, I got just lost my cool. We, we call it a moment of weakness. Well, it's more than a moment of weakness, according to this passage. It's a spirit, it's a reflection of the kind of spirit that Satan operates with. It's like, man, you really made this a hard message right then. Because we're, it's hard to be patient, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, the Bible says love is patient, and when love isn't present, then there won't be patience. And when love isn't present, then we are reflecting the spirit 
of the devil himself. It takes it up a notch, doesn't it? In the seriousness of, of not having love. I mean, is it possible for people to test your patience? Well, of course. But does that mean that we have license to ignore, ignore the command to love and the capability to love that God has given to us just because we're fed up with someone? Well, no. See, we have a choice. We can either reflect his nature or reflect his nature. It's natural for a child of God to reflect God, but it's easy to revert back to the old nature. I think about charity. The Bible says charity or agape is kind. Is kindness hard sometimes? No. It's hard all the time. Okay, so. It can be, right? I mean, people can be unreliable. Coworkers drop the ball and someone doesn't show up to their shift again. And, um, and, or someone doesn't show up for the nursery. And people are sometimes not kind to you. So clearly then, that's a permission slip to not be kind back. No, that's like saying, you know, there was a fire and the only liquid I could find was gasoline. So I went to put the fire out with gasoline. No, it doesn't work. We know we are called and made capable of choosing to reflect God's love. Therefore, even when it's hard, a genuine Christian is able to choose agape. We've been given that ability. We can, in a moment where someone's not being kind to you, and and you feel like being unkind back, God has placed within you, as a genuine child of God, He's placed within you the ability to choose agape. And and I I know they may not deserve it, and I know they're not being kind, but God has given me that ability to choose, and that's what I choose. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not proud. It's not puffed up. And we may do some things well, but listen, nothing that we do... Uh, came about in our own power and strength. Everything that we do uh, for God came from God. So pride is no place in, in where there is godly love. And listen, if pride is an issue for you, which I would look around the room and say, pride's an issue for all of us, okay? And not because we're, we're abnormally proud people, but because we're people. And pride is an issue for all of us. And when it becomes an issue for you, you could try to be more humble, but that's not the answer. No, the answer to pride is to choose to express biblical love in every way that you can. Because when love is present, pride is not, the Bible says. You know why? Pride is the spirit of Satan. I mean, pride is what got him in trouble in the first place. And it's what caused his downfall. And it has no place in a genuine Christian's life. When we're proud, we're reflecting the devil. And we can walk through 1 Corinthians 13, and, and we, but we've done that recently. I just want you to get the point tonight that, that we answer this question when it comes to love. Whose spirit are you reflecting? See, there are two spirits mentioned in 1 John 3. There's God's spirit and the devil's spirit. And God's spirit of love is what we're capable of. But when love isn't working, a spirit of Satan is present. And that's, listen, that's living far below what God has called you to. That's living far below what God has made you capable of. And what a shame to live at that level when you've been made capable of so much more. It reminds me of, uh, I read a story, I mean, this had been a long time ago, but about Coco the gorilla who was born in the San Francisco Zoo and raised in, uh, in a preserve there in California. And as a female gorilla, she died, I think, in 2018. But, but the amazing thing about Coco um, is she knew over 1,000 signs 
So, um, not, I mean, gorilla sign language, not just Jessica, not American Sign Language. Okay, I love referring to her while she's doing that. She had over a thousand signs. And so if you think about, I mean, this is a gorilla. If you think about that, um, then that would, they say that's the equivalent of the vocabulary of a three-year-old toddler. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing. Because I, we were a, a month and a half ago or so at the Omaha Zoo. And I can tell you, those, those gorillas um, were not blowing my mind with anything they were doing. It was actually really weird, okay? <laughs> we'll talk about it later, but most, that's what most gorillas do. I wasn't surprised, because that's what they do. So when a gorilla comes along and they're like signing, that kind of catches your attention. Now, but what if the opposite is true? I mean, if, if there's a human acting like a gorilla, that's not a headline. But when a gorilla acts like a human, that's a headline. And the point I'm making in this is um, when, somebody, when something that is not very capable does something way outside of what we expect to be in their capabilities, it blows our minds. And, and that's honestly, and I, I'm not trying to be trite or weird about it, but honestly, the fact that God would give us the ability to love is not really all that different than a gorilla being able to, to have a vocabulary of a thousand words. That, that should blow our minds that we're capable of that. It's that amazing. Here's the problem. Most, we've been made capable. If you are a genuine child of God, then you've been called to, to show the love of God, and you've been made capable of showing the love of God. But most of us, we're called to live up here, but really when it comes to love, we're still way back down here. And our love is less reflective of our Father than it is our enemy. Because there's two spirits at play. Remember, it's the love of God the Father or you are of, you're a child of the devil. And listen, we've got to be careful of settling far below the calling of love that's been placed on our lives. The challenge tonight is this. Stop living like you belong down here when you have the capacity to love like you belong up there. And what a tragedy to settle for something far less than what God has made us capable of. And this is kind of a two-part sermon, so next time, Lord willing, we'll see what that tends to look like. But for now, I just want to apply it. Is there someone in your life that you've refused to love like God loves you? You say, well, that's just too much to ask, except that God shed his love abroad in your heart. And he's made us capable, and he's called us to it. And so, therefore, he wouldn't call us to it or command us to do it if he knew we would fail. No, he's given us the resources to do it. And, yes, I, you may say, but you don't understand the situation. And I, and I, and I completely get that. I, I don't get it. But maybe, maybe, though, you ought to stop settling for the standard, the floor, um, of, of being a child like the devil and say, it's not, I'm not capable and understand that God has given you the capability to do something that you never dreamed you could do, but he's made, you, made it possible in your life. So don't just settle for what you've always known. Understand that God's given you the ability to do so much more. Maybe it's a matter of forgiveness in your life. And there's somebody you just cannot forgive, and that's, that's a sign of love if you can forgive. 
Maybe it's a matter of patience. Or maybe it's somebody that easily provokes you in your life. And they know which buttons to push. And maybe it's someone even in your church family and, and you haven't loved like you should. Stop settling for living way down here when God's called you to live up here. In our church, I love Eastside Baptist Church, but for us to move forward, we've got to do it arm in arm. And, and, and I heard somebody say this week, I want to say it right. If you want to, if you want to go, get somewhere fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And we have to understand that, that it's a limitation on the progress of Eastside Baptist Church if we refuse to love each other like God's called us to. Love and unity is absolutely essential to the future of our church. I think about employees. If you work, at a, you work in a business, and I know work situations can be frustrating, but would you say that your interactions in general or with somebody specific at your workplace, does it, do your interactions or your responses, do they point people to Christ or do they point people away from him? Because the way that you express love, um, either it points one way or the other, according to John. Husbands and wives, would you place your love for your spouse in selfless category or in the selfish category? See, our spirit reflects, one spirit reflects God, the selfless category. The other spirit reflects Satan. And, and I'd hate for my children to see me settle for a spirit well below my calling and capability. Young people, and this is a big on my heart and mind just these days, does the way that you treat your parents reflect your calling and capacity to love like God? You're, you're, I mean, you're, you're a child of God. And God doesn't magically, when you turn 21, finally give you the ability to love like he loves. No, no God, during the day, the moment that you got saved, God gave you the ability and the commandment to love like God loves. And, and so this applies to young people as well. I mean, I'm, when, when a young person comes into the class and they're brand new, um, where, who's going to show the love of God? And who's going to selfishly kind of sit in the background and, and remember what that reflects? That's the love of a different kind. I mean, that's an act of a different kind. Uh, what about with your parents? You know, God has given you the ability to show love and, and obedience is a sign of your love for God. And if you're not obeying your parents, that's a sign of your love for God. And I'm not, I mean, without, without coloring it or being too harsh about it, listen, you are living like the devil if you don't obey your parents and treat them with respect. And I know that's hard to, to hear, but that's what John says. It's, it's, it, it is a devilish spirit. Not only that, some of you are older siblings, and what you are doing is, is showing the spirit of, the, of Satan to your younger siblings. And they're thinking, oh, if they can get away with it, you have influence. And you, you can make a difference. And listen, so what will be said of you when you leave the youth group? Um, okay, they, they had the love that pointed people to God. Or they had a spirit that was really a lot more like the devil living far below the calling and the commandment and the capability that God gave them to love like he loves. 
It's not just young people, it's all of us. We've got to evaluate this. Let's stop living below our calling. Because far too many Christians, uh, for far too many Christians, love isn't working. It's not producing. And what we're producing instead is a reflection of a spirit we don't want. And, And I don't want to answer for that someday. Let's determine to have the spirit of our father and not the spirit of our enemy when it comes to love. See, when love isn't working, that's what we produce, is the spirit of our enemy. And I wonder what God could do with a group of people who don't just give hugs, but love with God's love. I wonder what our city would look like if we stopped counting the cost and we just did what it takes. And if we're no longer considered what was, if we no longer considered what was convenient, but instead fully surrendered to the Lord in whatever he's asking us to do. Stop settling for life below your calling. It's a whole lot better living up here than it is living down there. Let's stand. Every head bowed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.